you this morning. I can see the headlines now, though. Parents forgot the Savior in a big city. Lost boy found in a temple after missing for three days. Uh, You know, you just kind of look at this scene. Obviously, times are different than today. But we enter what is called the season of epiphany. Now, before you think I'm just making up words, this is a real word. And it's a season that's been celebrated throughout the history of the church. Epiphany means shining light or revelation. And so we're going to look at these places in Scripture where there's these hints, there's these glimpses who Jesus is, that he is the Christ. And we see this scene today, that they see this wisdom of a 12-year-old boy, and they marvel and are astonished at his answers. I, I believe that we should be those who live in a, in a constant state of epiphany. Lord, how am I seeing you revealed today? Jesus, show me yourself today. I want to see you today. In our gospel reading, we see that Jesus was taken to the feast of Passover every year by Joseph and Mary. Now, the trek for this celebration was a four to five day walk. You know, I mean, they had to walk. Families from regions would gather together and friends and they would caravan across the wilderness to feast and to party because God had set people free from Egypt. Sometimes when we talk about being forgiveness of, forgiven of sins, we're very contemplative, right? We go, oh, thank you, Lord. Well, this was celebrating the, the freedom of captivity, the Passover, which is a, a big representation of the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross. And they gathered together to feast and to party. I want us maybe to consider the times that we get together every week as an opportunity to feast and to celebrate. I mean, you know, the last thing I want to do is for you guys to come in here and go, oh man, here we are at church again. Uh, when's it over? Right? And we go through seasons like that. I've been there. I mean, I was in ministry and I was like, I don't want to go. Well, you got to leave music. I know, but I don't want to go. But we come with an expectation that God wants to say something to us. That he can say that, not just through what we do in this exercise, but through one another. We're here as a family. We are Christians, bought by the blood of the Lamb. Jesus, our Passover Lamb. And we gather together every week to celebrate what God has done. He's faithfully sustained me yet another week. And I get to get together with my brothers and sisters in Christ and celebrate and focus on what Jesus has done. My hope, my joy, my future. So let's pray that God would give us an excitement and an anticipation for gathering together. If you're anything like me, and and I I pity you if you are, but, um, you know, to not be somewhere, to not be in church on a Sunday is very difficult for me. I grew up going to church. It's what we did, and I loved it. I enjoyed getting together. That was my family. There were people there that knew me, that I hung out with, and there was, it was fun, not that I, I mean, obviously we've got to learn about God, but learning about God should be fun. I just want you to know that. Because here's the God of the universe saying, hey, I got some stuff for you to learn about me. Yeah. We see that this was the habit of Joseph and Mary. Every year they went. Please understand my heart when I say this. Because here I'm kind of preaching to the choir because you're all here today, right? But I know that some seasons are difficult. And I know there are times where there is legitimate struggle to get to church. I mean, some people are sick. Please stay home. We don't want it. 
right? <laughs> but I always think that missing church should be the exception and not the rule. And it's not to put a, a, a task or a heavy burden on you. It should be like, you know, when we get together, it's good for us. We need each other. It is a habit. That's right, a habit that God wants to work into our lives. Because it's good to come together and to celebrate. It's good for kids who grow up to see a family of God gathering together, celebrating the risen Savior. That was good for me. And it was good for many of you. We also see that they traveled in large groups. It said, family and acquaintances. Can you imagine, just for a moment, hundreds of relatives and close friends taking a four to five day backpacking trip? I mean, kids everywhere. And I mean, kids everywhere. And so the parents were like, well, the kids are fine. We're going to huddle together and we're going to have adult beverages on this trip and to deal with the kids, right? Now, there was a practical fact that traveling together in large groups was a safety for them because there were bandits on this, this road. And if you travel with one or two people, a good chance was that you would be overcome and robbed. And we see the story of the Good Samaritan. That was something that would happen regularly. They'd leave you for dead. Take your money. So there's a practical fact that is good to travel in groups. But I think there's a spiritual principle here. We need each other to walk this journey. There are bandits, by the way, that want to rip you off, that want to keep you suppressed, and want to put you hurt and on the sidelines. 1 Peter 5.8 warns us to be sober-minded. Watch carefully. Your adversary, the devil, prowls like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. But when we're hanging out together, when we're in a big group, it's very difficult for him to do that. There is an enemy of Jesus that wants to prevent his kids, you and I, from growing, gathering, and loving one another. We just need to call it out. That's the fact. That's the reality. If you go through seasons where you're not connecting with other people in the body of Christ on a regular basis, you feel it. You've been there. And then you come back and you're like, oh, I'm back in the family of God. But what does the enemy do? Well, you, shouldn't, you shouldn't go back there because what, you're going to look horrible. Now you're coming back to church finally. They're going to judge you. Don't believe the lie. It's not true. When people come back here, we are excited to see everyone. I see that every week. You guys love people. It's beautiful. When we walk alone, though, we are more susceptible to the schemes of the enemy. Now it's important that we do have not only a church home, but that we plug in and we get involved in the family of God. It's very easy, not so easy in our little church at this point in time. I mean, I call it little in number, but I think we're mighty in power. I really do. I think God, God has brought some, he's doing a good work in us here. So we're mighty in power. So don't look at us as little. So it's a little harder in a smaller congregation to come in and not kind of get plugged in. But a lot of people go to these larger churches so they won't get noticed. So they can just come in, hide in the back, and leave really quick. They come in late, they leave early. We saw that on Christmas Eve. We'd already started, a couple comes in, and I mean, I, seriously, I've never seen people leave so fast. <laughs> it's like, oh man, we didn't even get to see and say hello, and didn't get to meet them. And so, but that's, that's a season, at least they showed up, right? I mean, you know, but we should never be content if someone just shows up and leaves. We should never be content as a family with that because God has so much more 
for them. We want people to get plugged in because we want people to know that it's important to be a member of the family of God. Being a member of a church is not merely a title, but it means that there are people who have my back and I have their back. Membership means that I belong with others and others belong with me. Membership means that I am accepted and loved and I get to love and build others up in love. Think about this. Mary and Joseph, they went and they partied, right? They celebrated and they're heading back. And because they're with their family and their friends that they know have each other's back, they're really not aware of where Jesus is because they trust their family and their friends because they know that they're looking out for one another. We need that. Listen to 1 Corinthians 12. 14 all the way through 27. If you're wondering, I'm going to read this from the New Living Translation, so it might sound a little different than how you've heard it in the past. Yes, the body has many different parts, not just one part. Look around the room. We're all a little bit different, right? Now, don't point out who's really different, but, you know, because all fingers will be pointing towards me. I know. We're not just one part. If the foot says, I am not part of the body because I am not a hand, that does not make it any less part of the body. And if the ear says, I am not part of the body because I am not an eye, would that make it less part of the body? If the whole body were an eye, how would you hear? Or if your whole body were an ear, how would you smell anything? This is practical, right? I don't know. Probably wouldn't work. But our bodies have many parts, and some of them ache a lot. I just want to say that. Okay. But our bodies have many parts, and God has put each part just where he wants it. How strange a body would be if it only had one part. Wouldn't that be weird? What is that uh, Steve Martin movie with the brain? Right? That was weird, right? <laughs> it's just got this brain in a jar. It makes no sense, right? Yes, there are many parts, but only one body. The eye can never say to the hand, I don't need you. The head can, can't say to the feet, I don't need you. In fact, some parts of the body that seem weakest and least important are actually the most necessary. I'm going to read that again because I think we forget that. Some parts of the body that seem weakest and least important are actually the most necessary. And the parts we regard as less honorable are those we clothe with the greatest care. So we carefully protect those parts that should not be seen. Yes. While the more honorable parts do not require the special care. So God has put the body together such that extra honor and care are given to those parts that have less dignity. This makes for harmony among the members so that all the members care for each other. If one part suffers, all the parts suffer with it. And if one part is honored, all parts are glad. All of you together are Christ's body and each of you is part of it. Listen, if you have a a sprained ankle, you start walking funny, correct? And it puts a strain on other parts of your body. In fact, a lot of times if you have an injury that's chronic, you find that it affects other parts of your body. So like I've had a left knee reconstruction and my femur was an eighth of an inch shorter because it had been that way for a long time. And so my left leg is an eighth of an inch shorter than my right leg. And so this causes problems with the rest of my body. You know, I I, I walk with a slight limp. You know, I try to make it look like it's a cool gait, you know, so, so people think I'm hip. But it's really, there's an infirmity going on and it hurts. But did you catch the end of this? And that's why I say that all of you together, all of you together, even those that aren't with us today, are part of Christ's body. You all have a part. And when we're not together, we're disjointed. When we are together, it's a beautiful thing. 
We are part of Christ and we function best when we are together. Now, we see this scene, right? So they go four or five days, they party, celebrate what God has done, and they leave. And after a day into their journey, Mary's like, I'm kind of being a bad mom. Maybe I should find out where my, my son is, right? You know, where is Jesus anyway? And they can't find him. You know, going around, hey, have you seen Jesus? No, no. I saw him, you know, back in Jerusalem. Oh, no. So now you've got to go another day back, right, to look for him. And then we see that they spend a day looking for him in the city. And three days later, they find him in the temple. Now, I just want to note this quickly. Isn't it interesting that it's three days later? <coughs> Jesus was in the grave for three days, and then he was revealed as the risen Savior three days later. Jesus was nowhere to be found for three days, and then he was found three days later. Just, those are little things that are fun to look at. You know, you never want to make huge, like, doctrinal stances on those, but you kind of want to go, oh, that's kind of a cool little thing. Here we see Jesus, though, sitting among scholars. Twelve-year-old boy, we believe, at this time. Sitting among scholars and displaying a wisdom and insight beyond his years. There was something special about him. Epiphany. This must be someone special. This isn't normal. And it's funny to me that, that, it take, that Mary and Joseph still don't get it, right? Well, okay, why did you say that? The people recognized that he was special. And I don't know if Mary and Joseph did at the time, but we do see that, that Mary treasured some things in her heart. So she just tucked these away. Okay, I'm going to remember this because I remember, wait, he was begotten by the Holy Spirit. Um, so I remember these things. She and Joseph were reminded that they were stewards of the very Son of God. So make this connection, if you would, with me. We bear the name Christian because we have received the name of Jesus through the forgiveness of sins. Christian indicates Christ's identity or Christ-likeness. When they were first called Christians in Antioch, we see in the book of Acts, because they were acting like Jesus. They were loving one another. They were caring for one another. They were full of joy. And we did see some works of, of miracles that were happening and so they were called Christians because they were so in love with Jesus Christ that they bore his name and he, they acted like him. Would that be nice if that was said of you and I? You know what? You must be a Christian because you're acting a lot like Christ. Jesus explains to Joseph and Mary that he was about his father's business. And he almost acts like, well, don't you know? Don't you know is what I'm supposed to be doing? Now, this is a challenge to us, and, and sometimes I feel like when I'm putting sermons together that there's a lot of law, you know? We're supposed to talk about law and gospel. Law drives us to be desperate for Jesus. The gospel is Jesus provided everything for us, and I love that because I love the fact that, that I'm always faced with the fact that I don't measure up and I can't do it, and that it's all because of Jesus. But Jesus also says, hey, I have works for you to do. I have things that I've prepared in advance that you would walk in them. Like I've told you before, it's the divine setup. I've got them ready for you. I've prepared them for you. Just walk in them. And guess what? I'll be with you. And I'll actually be doing them through you. But it's a challenge to us. Are we about the business of God? In Haggai 1, verses 2, or, yeah, verses 2 through 9, this is what the Lord of heaven's army says. The people are saying, the time has not yet come to rebuild the house of the Lord. Then the Lord sent this message to the prophet Haggai. Why are you living in luxurious houses while my house lies in ruins? This is what the Lord of Heaven's army says. Look at what's happening to you. You have planted much, but harvest little. You eat, but are not satisfied. You drink, but are still thirsty. You put on clothes, but cannot keep warm. 
Your wages disappear as though you were putting them in pockets filled with holes. This is what the Lord of Heaven's army says. Look at what's happening to you. Now go up into the hills, bring down timber, and rebuild my house. Then I will take pleasure in it and be honored, says the Lord. You hoped for rich harvests, but they were poor. And when you brought your harvest home, I blew it away. Why? Because my house lies in ruins, says the Lord of heaven's armies, while all of you are busy building your own fine houses. Now, I think we can really relate to this time of the church in Haggai to today. How many of you feel like there's times you're running for things that won't last? How many times do you think you're striving for a success that is here today and gone tomorrow? We find ourselves in this cycle of striving and running and striving and running for more, but we're never satisfied. And I believe that is a gift from God that we aren't satisfied with anything that this world has to offer. Because we want to be satisfied. We have a hunger. He says in Ecclesiastes 3.11 that he has put eternity in man's heart. So we know there is something that will satisfy us for all eternity. It's only found in Jesus Christ. And so when we strive for these other things, God says, it's not good. I won't let those satisfy you because I want to drive you to what is best for you. And that is my son, Jesus Christ. In him, there is life. He calls us to pay more attention to him and to his people and the gathering with his people. The work of the Holy Spirit is drawing us to care more about the things of God and how we can live for him. Listen, if you know people who are out of the habit, and I just mean out of the habit, it's not something they're, they're work or they have different things. I'm not saying that. They're just like, oh, I'll do something else today on a Sunday. Trust me, they're on a struggle. There is a battle going on for them to, to not gather together with the people of God. Pray for them. Pray that they would find the, the, the rest that happens when we gather together as a body. They would find the joy, the encouragement, the strength. Because what he does is he's drawing people to himself. And when he is glorified, guess what? We benefit from it. God is so good. I mean, how many times have you come to worship and you know, you're like, oh, Lord, I just want to bless you. I want to sing to you. I want to pray to you. And after you're done, you feel better. And it's like, God's a, a, a blessing God. So, oh, Lord, I want to bless you. He goes, yeah, but I'm going to bless you more. Here we go. Pour it on. Yes. Maybe you're in a time of desperation or struggle or striving or pain. Fill in the blank. Whatever time you're in. I'll go this way since, you know, reading this way. Fill in the blank. God is beckoning us to be about the Father's business. We are Christians in name. So that means we follow the example of Jesus Christ who said, don't you know I'm supposed to be about my Father's business? He's calling us to be in the business of sharing His love with others, growing in His grace, and gathering with one another. So last week we looked at being dedicated to God. And I think this week kind of looks like what dedication to God looks like in action. It means that we're being about the work that he has for us. You have a part in the body of Christ. You have a place. God does not make mistakes. He didn't save you and put you into a family of God and just say, well, you're just going to sit there. You, you know, other people have, have more gifts and more talents than you. You don't have anything to offer. That's a lie from the enemy. Everybody has a piece and a part to do in the body of Christ as we serve him together and we look to him and we share the love of God and we encourage one another, hey, 
How can I help you do what God's calling you to do? Sometimes that means, hey, I'm just going to shake somebody's hand and tell them God loves you. Sometimes that means I'm just smiling at you today. Sometimes that means like today when we fellowship afterwards, if you're able to hang out and have potluck with us, you know, it was free skate. We don't know what's there. But when, you know, we're going to go over there and there's going to be some food. Maybe it means you're going to sit with somebody you don't know very well. You're going to kind of ask some questions. Tell me your story. How'd you get here? Well, I drove down pole line. No, that's not what we're saying, you know. What, what's your story, you know? Uh, who are you? No, <laughs> I already told you my name. Uh, but, but get to know one another. Get to know one another. So that we can be about what God is calling us to do. We see this picture of Jesus. And he says, hey, I'm in you. My life is in you. The life that you now live, you live in me. So guess what? Be like me and hang out with one another and get to know the wonders of God and share life together. So let's just take a moment. Maybe there's some things that God has been putting on your heart for some time. And you're like, you know, I put it off, I put it off. Or, or maybe you're like, I don't know what my part is. I don't know what God's calling me to do, but, but I know he has something for me and I want to know what it is. Maybe it's just a time of reflection to go, okay, Lord, keep me strong in what I know I'm supposed to be doing. But I do believe that God is always speaking to us and that we need to take the time to just be still for a moment and respond by the strength of his spirit in what he is telling us to do. So let's do that.